you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather today. We're mindful of those who we've been praying for the last few days through sickness and sorrow. I pray for Terry Wine today and ask, Lord, with her diagnosis that you might bring her comfort and encouragement and strength and healing. We pray for Ron today and ask, Lord, that as he's hospitalized, you might give him healing. Since he's advanced in his age, well, we need extra prayer for him, Lord, to just show grace and mercy and bring healing to him. Well, Father, we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to lift up our prayers to you today. And for the others that we have on our prayer list that are listed in the bulletin, we lift them up as well. But we pray for this great nation of ours and our families as we try to negotiate all the different rules and regulations concerning Thanksgiving this year. But help us today as we talk about the cup of Thanksgiving to focus on the one thing that can bring us all healing. And that is your son. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I know that there are some coffee drinkers out there. If you're a coffee drinker, raise your hand. Okay. If you've had too much coffee already, if you're whoop whooping already. Now, if you're a coffee drinker, I cannot identify with this particular illustration, but when you get up in the morning and you uh, have the opportunity to finally get your cup of coffee and sit down and you uh, just take your first sip of coffee, uh, what's that taste like to you? Hmm? Tastes like coffee, but isn't it more than coffee? Isn't it more than just, you know, the flavor of it? It's the warmth. It's just, uh, it's almost like a, an energy charge that you get whenever you do that. And you say, mmm, that's just a delicious cup of joe or delicious cup of coffee, right? You might sit there and look into it and reflect upon it and just think about your day and different things like that. And, and I've never really experienced that because the closest I get to that is uh, if I have a hot tea. And I don't like hot tea. Or if I drink hot chocolate and I'm not really, I, I mean, I'll drink it if I'm cold, but if I'm getting up in the morning drinking hot chocolate and getting my body warm, when my body gets warm on its own anyway, I just, it doesn't do me any favors. But if you like that, then you can understand that when you're sitting there with your hands around a cup of coffee, it, it's more than just a drink to you. And today, somehow, I need to convince you that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, and I'm sorry, I should have mentioned this, we're... If you already did that, that's fine, but we're going to do this together as a church family. Pray through this. You can still do that later. But when you put your hands around that cup and we think about our life and we think about our day and we think about what the cup represents, I want to try to convince you today that through the cup of thanksgiving, through the cup of Christ, he can make all things good for you. And there are some people, they swear, until I get my cup of coffee in the morning, I'm not worth anything. i got to have that first cup of coffee. And if you're like that, uh, then uh, that's fine, but I just kind of worry about you if that's, you know, you need coffee to get it going. 
But all of us, we need that delicious cup of thanksgiving that we're going to talk about today because we're living in a ball of confusion. If anybody can tell me who sang ball of confusion back in the day, I'll give you nothing. Anybody can tell me ball of confusion? Very popular. You want me to sing a little bit of it? it? You probably remember it from Sister Act 2 when the nuns sang it. People lap, people moving out, people moving in. Why? Because of the color of their skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. Now you know where Seth gets his talent, right? Ball of confusion, temptations. Now I was going to play it, but because we're streaming live, I didn't want to steal any of our bandwidth this morning. But in the song, it talks about this ball of confusion in which we live. There are all kinds of weird things that are going on in our world, and uh, the tagline in that song is, that's what the world is today. And if it was that way back when the Temptations sang it during the Vietnam era, which the song was really written about, it surely applies today. This world is just a ball of confusion because we have our minds being tugged in every direction. You may be able to get yourself into a mode where you are reflective and prayerful and then you turn the television on or the radio on or you read a magazine or you open up a newspaper or you just get on your Facebook page and there are people that are commenting about the stuff that's going on. Well, here's the amazing thing for us to understand is that there are so many things that pull us in different directions. We're being pulled politically right now. And I think that if I had my druthers, I'd take every political person in this country, take them to the woodshed, uh, spank their behind and say, listen, you got to behave. You're just being selfish. Everybody, I think everybody who is political is because they're missing the point of service and what that means. We're being pulled uh, personally in our relationships because if you have someone in your life that is not, you know, guiding you or is not supporting you or helping you, encouraging you in your love and encouraging you in your faith, they can be pulling you in a different direction. Professionally, we have the same kind of things that are going on where you know, you may be really reflective and then you go to work and you're around all this negativity all day long and horrible language and, and all kinds of adulterous conversations that are going on. And you wonder, is this world any good? We live in a ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. And it is true because we know it's a divisive time. It's a divisive time in which we live, in which... Um, in which our lives have become a crucible, a crucible for the church. It is our time in the church to test our validity and our veracity. You know, we can blame the world, but the world's just doing what the world does. But what's really scary is when the church starts doing what the world does. Because when we start doing what the world does, we lose our validity. We lose the very thing that makes us the salt and light that preserves. And we lose our veracity. We lose our integrity, our truthfulness. Because people look at you and then they'll say, well, you don't seem to be living any different than I do. So what is it that you think you can give to me? 
The tests we must pass if we want to save those we know instead of being a stumbling block to them is a test of idolatry. God has warned us and he's taught us that we are surrounded by idolatry. And when we as the church, when we as believers, when we give in to it, we are the ones who become a stumbling block to them. It's not the unbelievers or the non-believers. They do just what they do. But what we are to do is be separate and different and stand up and be bright. The test that God has given his people is not new. It's been with us since even the days of Moses when they were led out of the promised land. Let me turn your attention to some verses. The first one's from 1 Corinthians 10. The other one will be from 1 Corinthians 11. You can get your Bibles out, look it up on your app, do whatever you need to do. I think I'll even have some of the verses up here on the, on the screen. The first one, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 6 says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do you get that? These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on the idolatry of evil things as they did. What Paul is saying to us here is that we were all baptized into the same message and same promise, and that is the promise of God that if we put our faith and our trust in Him, and it's represented to us through the rock of Christ right now. And Paul indicates here that Christ was following the Israelites, the Hebrew children, through the desert. Just like we drink from that same promise today, that same spiritual rock, and have that same food, that same drink, that is Christ. We have all of this, but they did not please God. And because of their disbelief, because they followed after idolatry, God left their bodies scattered in the wilderness. For us today, the question is, will we as believers be another generation of followers whose bodies will just be scattered in the wilderness of idolatry because we failed to learn the lessons of Moses and his children. We're being tested by God as Jesus leads us to our own promised land. We must be careful lest we set our hearts on the evil things they did. Primarily, Paul will point out that it's sexual immorality, impatience, and grumbling. And when we think about our world and we look at the studies that are done concerning the church, Barna and Pew Research, they all point out the same thing. And that is the church 
really shows no different behavior when it comes to sexual immorality, impatience, or grumbling. We're right there with the rest of the world when it comes to these things. The divorce rate is the same in many instances. The level of promiscuity amongst Christian teens is almost equal to that of those who are non-Christians, non-believers. We have this issue where we get caught up in the impatience of the world because we have politicians reminding us every day that tomorrow the world's going to fall in if we don't listen to them and do what they tell us to do. And all along, we grumble. And not like the grumbling and complaining that we talked about a few weeks ago when we listen to non-believers do that so that we can minister to them, but we should know better because we've have uh, we have uh, drank drank from the rock of Christ. We have eaten from the food of Christ. Paul said in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse seven through eleven, "Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in reverie. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in the day, and in one day, twenty three thousand of them died." We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age has come. The culmination of the age is the coming of Christ in the church age. And we're in it just as the, the readers of Paul's uh, writings here in Corinth were in it. These people rose up to indulge in the revelry of their world. So Paul says we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. This is the part of the story when some of the men of Israel went and were enticed by the Moabite women to not just have sex with them, but to worship Baal Peor. And so a plague broke out amongst the people. 23,000, actually 24,000 in the story of the Old Testament in total died. Then there were those who, as they were making their way, Moses said, we're going to have to go around Edom instead of through it to get to the promised land. So the people started saying, well, we need a different leader. They became impatient. They didn't want to follow God's plan. Yet God had a reason for this. And because they were impatient, God sent snakes among them, venomous snakes. And they started biting and people were dying. And then God instructed Moses to raise up a, a staff with a, 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 a snake of bronze at the top of it, representing Christ, of course. And when people looked upon that, even though they were bitten by the snakes, they were not sick or they did not die. And there were the whole time that they were in the wilderness, there were those who were grumbling. As they wandered, even at one point, whenever they had the chance to go into the promised land, most of them grumbled about how difficult it would be. So God said, okay, your generation for 40 years will wander around in the wilderness and you'll all just die at the hand of the angel of death. Until this generation's gone and a new generation rises up, then I'll let them go into the promised land. All of these things were written as examples 
and warnings to us in this age. It is God's people, Christians, believers, who commit promiscuity and adultery and who take shortcuts morally and grumble about the ineffectiveness of God in our culture and the good that we think he should do. That's what brings punishment upon our extended community. It's not the evil in the world. It's the evil in the church. And the reason Paul is making this argument to the church in Corinth is because they were indulging in the revelry of their culture and in their world. And it was creating divisiveness amongst the people. Paul's lessons here, the application of them that we get to here in just a second, are warnings to us. We must consider that we have become the stumbling block instead of the path to salvation. And we talked about this a, a week or so ago when we talked about our ministry to those who are traumatized by this world. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Paul warned, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now, the first thing we might say, well, it's so hard. Lord, there are just so many tempting things and everybody's grumpy and everybody's worried and everybody's uh, going on and on and on about how horrible things are in their life. We can hear that, but God's always promised us a way that no matter what the temptation comes, it's common, and he will give us a way out no matter what the temptation is. What that means is there's no temptation greater than your faith to say no to it. None. None. So we can't say to God, well, God, it's not fair because you tempted me with this and you knew that was my weak area. Or God, you're not making things easy for my, me in my life, so why wouldn't I be complaining? Why wouldn't I grumble? Or I just got impatient waiting to hear from you, God, so I decided to just go forward and do what I thought was best. You see, when we take that attitude, we become the stumbling block for culture. Because what God is trying to talk to us about here through Paul is the purity of the church so that we're not drawn into the idolatry of our world so that we can be a light that gives truth and a salt that preserves. We must flee from the idolatrous behavior of our world and teach our children to flee as well. We have no excuse because God never tempts us beyond what we can bear. He always provides a way out. We've just stopped looking for the exit because we're enjoying the ride. What we can't see, but God can, is the sinkhole just beyond the next hill that will swallow us up if we don't stop. Are we guilty of just enjoying the ride in the world? People talk about how bad things are. But is it the worst thing in the world to be able to sit down and have a nice meal on Thanksgiving Day, 
Maybe not everybody you want to be there can be there. But for most people in this country, they'll sit down and they'll enjoy a delicious meal with those they love. They won't be hungry. They won't be cold. They won't be outside in the, and exposed in the elements. We think that culture has provided that for us. We think maybe capitalism has provided that for us. We think that maybe if we don't like capitalism, that socialism will provide that for us. But there's only one thing that has provided for us the blessings we enjoy, and that is the giver of all good things, and that is God. Amen? We're forgetting one very important truth, and that is the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross, celebrated in the Lord's Supper, has not lost its power or its importance. Participating in the blood and body of Christ saves us from idolatry and is the only answer to resolving the ball of confusion that is our world today. Paul says in verse 15 there, 1 Corinthians 10, I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Don't gloss over these words because what Paul is telling us here is that when we participate in the blood of Christ by taking the cup of thanksgiving, the, 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 the fruit of the vine, and we take the bread that we have and we break it and we partake of it, we are, we are literally uh, entering into this communion with God through his son Jesus Christ, through his body and blood. It allows us to judge ourselves, to examine ourselves. It allows us to realize that as we're participating in the very blood of Christ, we can picture his death on the cross and the blood that was dripping from his body and how each drop was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Not just the forgiveness, but for our ability to say no to them. It allows us to partake in the bread as we break it and we realize that he broke his body. Not a bone in his body was broken, but he sacrificed his body so that we would realize that though we might die, yet we will live. That the end is not written in the breaking. The end is written in the resurrection. But Jesus was willing to break. He was willing to submit. He was willing to give himself over to the plan of the Father. And when we partake of the body of Christ, that's what we're reminded of, is that we can submit ourselves to the plan of the Father because Sunday morning, resurrection is going to take place. The cup of thanksgiving, the breaking of bread, they allow us to participate in the powerful sacrifice of Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's why Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 32. For I, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, 
He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this, and do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. And that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under the judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. The emblems that God gives to us through the Lord's Supper, the cup, the loaf, they allow us to proclaim the Lord's death. And what that means is we are proclaiming publicly as we partake for anyone who might be around us but more so to the Lord that we still believe in the saving power of Jesus Christ we still believe that he is the sacrificial lamb of God by through whom the world is saved that's why we're to examine ourselves before we eat and drink we eat the bread and drink the cup because if we don't discern that we are participating in a celebration of the body of Christ and thanking God for that, then we are eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. It is not worthy of the value or the purpose of the experience. You think about something you value highly. Would you want someone to just come in and abuse it, misuse it? Of course not. God has given us his precious son who died on the cross for our sins. And he's given us this opportunity to gather around the Lord's table and drink the, drink the cup and eat the bread that reminds us that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until his return. The power of the resurrection, the power of the sacrifice, we're proclaiming that. And if we don't, that's why many of us are sick and weak. There are many believers in the church sick and weak because they're not proclaiming the death of Christ through the cup of thanksgiving and the bread of life. These things are reminders to us so that in regards to ourselves, we don't come under the judgment, but if we are judged, we realize God's trying to discipline us and all these things, just like there were warnings to the people of Israel, the Hebrew, Hebrew children in the wilderness, the, the, the death and the snakes and the, the wandering, those were reminders to them that they were, they were falling into idolatry when God was trying to give them promise. And the same thing holds true for us. God is trying to give us promise, and we're holding on to idolatry. The cup of thanksgiving and the breaking of the bread gives us the ability to discern clearly if we should judge ourselves in light of our own idolatry. But even when we're judged, we're being disciplined by the Lord so that we're not condemned like the rest of the world. 
many of us are not happy with the words Thanksgiving is canceled this year. I'd like to know just who in the world thinks they can cancel Thanksgiving. I know what they mean. I know they're telling us that your family gatherings or events and things like that, and we've tried to cooperate and we try to be safe here. But here's what I want you to know, and here's what I want you to remember this week. No one can cancel Thanksgiving. No one. Because Christ Jesus, and even if it's not in the form of having a fat bird that we cut up with cranberry salad, which I don't ever eat, and mashed potatoes and gravy, which are yum, yum. Even if we don't do it in that form, we can remember and be thankful and participate in the cup of thanksgiving, which reminds us that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again so that we could be free from the idolatry of the world in which we live. Don't let anyone cancel that part of thanksgiving for you. At a time when we need it most, it is the most we are encouraged to skip Thanksgiving to save ourselves. Think about just the psychology of that. But when we skip Thanksgiving, the one who gives life and brings death judges us when we're talking about the cup of Thanksgiving. Now you can skip the turkey and you can skip being around your families, but do not skip the Thanksgiving. The cup of thanksgiving is the most important thing we can celebrate, especially in this ball of confusion in which we live. Because it allows us to proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection till his return. But we need to be careful. We don't want to be like those Christians in Paul's day who said, verse 23 and 24 of chapter 10, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything. Say it twice. But Paul says, you may have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. You may have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Now, the context here is Paul was talking about meat sacrificed to idols. I know that. I'm aware of that. But that was, this is an illustration of how the divisiveness of their culture over the idea of adultery, idolatry had, had sunk in. And that's why it's such a good verse for us, or a good set of verses for us to consider these days. We might have the right to do anything. You know, our conscience might allow it. But is it beneficial? We might have the right to do anything, but is it really constructive? These are the things that went through my mind when we were thinking about our annual Thanksgiving dinner we would have had today after church and the one we would have done on Wednesday nights. Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Was I doing it just for our own good? Sure, we could have a great meal. We could fellowship. We could love one another, and that'd be fantastic. But we know we love each other. Paul teaches us, am I seeking my own good? Or he says, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. He said, I'd become all things to all men that they might be saved. And if a little bit of cooperation can help us offer this perspective on Thanksgiving that can help others still be thankful, then that's what we need to do. However, if you do need some help knowing how to cancel Thanksgiving, there are a lot of articles out there. 
The Atlantic produced an article about canceling Thanksgiving, which teaches you how to have uh, to eat safely, to pass the food safely, to um, drink safely. And um, you can look that article up on the Internet if you want to. It'd be a thorough waste of your time, but you can do it. Because they offer all these proofs, they offer all these evidences as to why we should be okay with canceling Thanksgiving because it really just does not matter. That's their point. My point is this. It doesn't matter if you cancel little things as long as you remember the most important thing. And that is we need to be thankful to a giving God who has loved us and treated us with such blessing in our life. There are a myriad of articles and advisors teaching us how and why and how to cancel. Thanksgiving with their families because they reason, uh, they want us to cancel Thanksgiving with their families because they reason that the more we get together, the more we will spread the virus. So whatever you decide, what is best, what is good for others, what is beneficial, constructive, that's fine. Do that. But there are always so many ways to give thanks. Don't take Thanksgiving off the table this week. Zoom your lunch. Polo your friends. My family drive me crazy with Marco Polo. You ever heard of that? It's an app on our cell phones. And every time I, and I turned the notifications off the other day because it drives me crazy, then I turned it back on, and it drives me crazy. So it drives me crazy either way. But you can hold your phone up to your face, and you can do a short message of, uh, you know, I think the rule is it's supposed to be less than 30 seconds. My mom hasn't quite got onto that because hers are like, 30 minutes so it has her you know just given us her message and I love to see her it, it's just a blessing to see everybody get on there because you know they're they're doing well and they're live and they're active and there's a blessing in that so don't let anything stop you from celebrating Thanksgiving with your family this week if what you're thanking is the Lord above for the great gift that we receive through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because what he says in that is when we thank him, and communion is an opportunity for us to do that, is he will bring healing to us. He will help us. He will guide us. He will give us clarity in this ball of confusion on which we live. The cup of thanksgiving that allows us to participate in the rich salvation offered to us by Christ through his blood is a simple and available utensil in our lives. So what God wants us to do is reflect upon our lives as we look into the cup and as we think about that bread. We must imagine ourselves being washed pure in the miracle of the sacrifice of that blood. There's not a stain on you that won't clean. There's not a darkness in you it won't reach to. As we partake of that body, that bread, it reminds us of the power of submission to God's plan. And we realize that we need to submit today so that we can be raised to walk tomorrow. We need to submit today no matter how harsh or difficult it might be to do so. But there's a miracle in the resurrection. 
If you look carefully into the cup of thanksgiving, it will give you caution and clarity because you'll think about the precious blood that was spilt. And it's not something to just neglect or take for granted. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about thanks living, how to live a thankful life. So I'll continue this idea a little bit because there are a lot of people who want to spoil your Thanksgiving. So as we talk about that next week, I encourage you to invite your friends. We'll try to we're trying to do live. We'll see what our Internet service is like today. But the most important thing is that we take the opportunity to live in such a way that demonstrates our thanks to God for his blessings in our life. But today, I want to conclude this way. We have a, if you've already taken your loaf and cup, that's fine. You can still do these things with me. But if you haven't, I want you to take your cup right now and your little piece of bread and hold it in your hand. Just look down at it. If you don't have any, there's some in the back. You can go grab some. It's a cup of thanksgiving, remember. For Jesus, it might have been a cup of sorrow, a cup of pain. But for us, he's made it a cup of thanksgiving. Take that little piece of bread Look at it. It may crumble in your fingers. Still a piece of bread that Kay made in her kitchen that reminds us that when we submit ourselves in sacrifice to the Lord, you can take something so plain so little and he can raise us up to do victorious things so I want you to take that little piece of bread and I want you to eat it and as you do it I want you to think or say in remembrance of Christ Jesus body and then take your cup you look into it you may not be able to see your face in it because of the lights that are in here but you see the reflection I want you to just think for a moment here that it's not just a little cup of juice but it is the spilt blood of Christ Jesus in some church traditions they talk about transubstantiation where they actually believe and teach that that is the blood of Christ. We don't need to do that because it represents his blood. That's all we need to know. But look at it. Even if there were just one little drop of the blood of Christ in that cup, it could deal with all the stuff in your life that's been wearing you down wearing you out working you over because there's enough power in one drop of the blood of Christ to forgive us of our sins 
There's only one block, blood, one drop of blood of Christ was necessary as a sacrificial lamb to forgive all the sins of the world. But we hold in our hands today a reminder of that precious blood. So whatever you think you've done, how far you've fallen, how damaged you might be, when you partake of this cup and you say in remembrance of me, you let it wash away all that from you. Now I just want us to close our eyes. And if you've never done this before, I want you to examine rightly your heart and your mind in reference to this cup of thanksgiving. Because remember, it is given to us so that we don't come under judgment. So that we can discern the body of Christ and drink of his blood and make a commitment to realize as the context teaches us here that in this ball of confusion in which we live there is idolatry all around us in the form of sexual immorality impatience grumbling and as a believer today I need to examine my heart and my life my soul ask him I've been weakened by the grumbling of others around me am I becoming impatient impatient with God's plan for this world because I don't like what's going on in my city or my country or my state so instead of praying and crying out to the Lord I've been paying more attention to the promises of politicians there's sexual immorality all around us folks so many different forms and sometimes in the church as Christians what we're most guilty of is the indifference we have to the damage it does to those we know and love we sit back and don't ever say a word to them or encourage them or help them to consider the purity that God would have them live in. We're afraid we might lose relationships. We're afraid they might reject us. We're so afraid because we think it's such a powerful thing. compared to the blood of Christ and the power, forgiveness, grace it's insignificant we need to examine our hearts and minds this morning we need to consider if we've been trapped in idolatry like the rest of those around us Precious Father, this is our opportunity to lift up the cup of thanksgiving to you today. 
in celebration of what it means. Along with the broken body, the bread. It reminds us that there's not a thing in this world that can stop us, that should frighten us, that should bring us down. Because in every way, whatever the temptation you might allow into our lives, you promise us there's a way out if we'll take it. We must look for it. And a good time for us to look for it is when we are reflecting upon and examining our lives during a time like this, the Lord's Supper. We've gathered around. There's no food on the table. There's no turkey to be carved. There's no eggnog chilling in the refrigerator. It's just us and you. In your holy presence. We come to your great throne of grace to receive mercy and help in our time of need. Forgiveness. Goodness. And Lord, I pray for our church family. There are times we have to kind of examine ourselves as well. I have to ask ourselves collectively, are we honoring you or are we succumbing to the same strange idolatries of the world? For those who are here with us today, for those who might be at home listening, I pray that you would fill our hearts up with courage to realize that it is the cup of thanksgiving and the celebration of Christ Jesus that will bring healing to this ball of confusion in which we live. And that we just need to stand strong for you each day in hope and faith and let you do the rest. Because it's the still small voice of a faithful and committed believer that you often use to the greatest measure in this world. So no matter our age, no matter who we think we have been or we think we want to be, help us right now in this place and time just to realize we're your children. Offering thanks to you. Celebrating the body and the blood of Christ. Because we know there's power. Power. Power in that blood. Now, Lord, bless us as we go home to our families and celebrate this week the, the thing we do here in America with Thanksgiving but let us not leave behind what we've learned here today and the purpose of Thanksgiving with you help us to export it to our family, friends people that we work with just to remind them they may not think that there's much to be thankful for but as long as you are on the throne and as long as the truth of Christ Jesus still stands, we have everything we need to be thankful for. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you.
And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let all God's people say, 